Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I would like for you to turn with me to the book of Judges chapter 6. And, you know, in the front of my Bible, I have a quote from Billy Graham. And I put it there a number of years ago. And it's my prayer. Every week as I prepare for Sunday, for Sunday, um, I, wish, I wish there was a way to communicate sometimes the, the spiritual struggle that that is at times uh, preparing because you don't, I, you know, my prayer has always been since God called me to preach 30 years ago that I would not just preach just to be preaching, but that I would preach what the Lord has put on my heart and spoken to me. But I have a little phrase in the front of my Bible that I read that I try to read every time I go to the pulpit. And it says this, you are never preaching until the audience hears another voice. And uh, Billy Graham used to pray that before he entered the pulpit every time he preached. And I wrote that into my Bible and I keep that in my Bible. And that's my prayer is that remember that you are never preaching until your audience begins to hear another voice. And so you're not here to hear me this morning. You're here to hear the Lord. But I'll have to be honest with you. I, I've, I wrestled this week with what to preach, and I think the Lord has given me what, uh, it's not what I thought I should, but I, I think it's what the Lord's given me. So pray with me, because if I fumble around this morning, just hang with me, and uh, uh, I do believe there is somebody that needs to hear this this morning. Somebody needs to hear this aspect of an encouraging word this morning. And, uh, but if you'll turn to the book of Judges chapter 6, I want to talk a little bit this morning about a man that we're all familiar with. If you've walked with the Lord a long time, you've heard his story. And I want to talk a little bit about Gideon this morning. But let's look at, begin looking at verse 12. And we're going to read, read down uh, this morning and then we'll get right into the word. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O Lord, If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Look down to verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. How many know that's encouraging if the Lord says, I'm going to be with you? He says, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And verse 17, and then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who, is, who talks to me. And then the Bible said the angel of the Lord performed a sign for Gideon and then departed away from him. I want to share with you a little piece of world history this morning as we begin this message. His name was synonymous in ancient world of terror. Just the mention of his name struck fear into the hearts of entire empires. His name meant, the meaning of his name meant ruler of heroes. You can read about him in the book of Esther. And his name was Xerxes. When Xerxes came to power, when he came to power, he came to power with one intention, 
to invade Greece to take vengeance for the death of his father, Darius. For four years, he built an army. Herodicus, the historian, said that the army that Xerxes built was one of the largest armies ever put together in modern history. Some say that his army had 1.7 million men in it. The heart of his empire was what is what we call now modern Iran, and, uh, which was most of the Middle East, uh, into North Africa, and out into portions of Asia, and even as far as parts of what is now known today as India. The one area that he didn't control was Greece. So he built this massive army and began to march and move toward Greece. And, uh, and, and had crossed the Mediterranean. And uh, the Greeks, when they realized that they were coming, didn't have an army or a navy to confront them. Uh, they needed extra time. They needed days in order to form an army. But they turned to one man uh, who, was, who was chosen to lead 300 Spartans. His name, a great commander by the name of Leonidas. And Leonidas, he had took, uh, uh, he knew that when the Persians came, that they had to go through a place when they landed there in Greece. They had to go through a place called Phomophili. And knew the, uh, knew the Persians had to come through a very narrow Pass a place that was called Phomophili. And so with these 300 Spartans and warriors, he took them and stood guard at the pass of Phomophili. And so when Xerxes landed with this massive army and began to move this massive army, they could only send a few men in at a time through the pass. And the 300 Spartans stood there and killed every one of these Persians that came through there. And the first day, uh, Xerxes sent in the Medes and the Scythians, not Sissies, but the Scythians. And as they tried, they, they were repulsed and defeated soundly. Thousands upon thousands of Xerxes' army became dead, and he became furious. So the next day, he sent the cream of the Persian army. He sent 10,000 men known as, these were called the immortals. And uh, through them, uh, through that pass at Philophemai, and and the same thing happened. They were defeated. And thousands of the immortals proved the fact that they weren't immortal that day. And so we don't know how long Leonidas could have held off the Persians, but because there was a Greek by the name of Aphrodite, he went to Xerxes and he said, put part of your army in front and I will show you a way around the back and uh, to come in behind, um, to come in behind. And he did, and they defeated the 300 that day. And of course, Xerxes won that battle um, there uh, over the Greeks. Now, if you change the name 
from the pass at Fomophili to the Jezreel Valley, or the valley of what we call the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, and if you um, and on those slopes of that valley is where Gideon took his three hundred. If you change the name of Fomophili to the Jezreel, or uh, and if you change the name of the Spartans to the Hebrews and Leonidas to Gideon, you got Gideon and his three hundred um, who do not eventually perish, but beat the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east. The Scripture tells us, and so. Here you have the story of Gideon and 300. Many of you have heard it since you were kids in Sunday school. So let's look at Judges 6. And um, if, to be honest with you, if I would show you a modern day picture of Gideon, if I would let you see what Gideon would look like. Gideon was, uh, he was fearful, he was timid, he was afraid. Um, and so if I showed you a picture of a modern-day Gideon, what Gideon would have looked like. I'm going to show you. This is what Gideon would have looked like in the Old Testament. You know, <laughs> He was the Barney Fife of the Old Testament. <laughs> you all know Barney. Barney was always, always fearful and skittish and timid, afraid. And, um, and here we have Gideon here in Judges chapter 6. He is uh, an angel of the Lord appears to him. And, um, and he appears to him and Gideon here is, of course, he's afraid he's, he's there down, uh, trying to beat out wheat in this press, uh, in this area, beat out wheat to eat. And Gideon never, uh, really all of his life, he never gets beyond this fear. Sometimes we, uh, sometimes we all dear deal with certain fears in our life. And sometimes those, those fears can come up and try to follow us all of our lives. But he has this angel encounter, and this angel encounter, and given this tremendous sign at the end at an altar that day to Gideon as the angel of the Lord. Uh, he appears to Gideon, he calls Gideon, he shows him this amazing sign, and now Gideon is faced with something. Am I going to do God's will? God's called him and given him instruction. Now he's facing the issue, will I do the will of God? In other words, will he do God's will for his life? God's will sometimes is born out of our passion. Let me ask you this this morning. When God makes his will known to you, do you do his will? Do you do his will? When God confirms it, brings affirmation to it, and uh, do we do the will of God? And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. In the face of intimidation, are you willing to be obedient to the will of God? In the face of opposition, in the face of people lashing out, um, in the face of your own personal fears, um, no matter what, are we willing to be obedient to do the will of God for our lives. Be obedient to God's will. Are we going to be obedient to our passion of what God has called us to do this morning? And I want us to see some things in Gideon's life that'll help encourage us this morning about the will of God. I really believe that this is an hour when people are struggling with what the will of God is for their life. 
what they should be doing, what the, where they should be stepping into. And Gideon here is, is an angel visits him, calls him a mighty man of valor, which he does not believe. And now this angel is calling him out. And God is asking him to do the will of God, to deliver his people. It's not a small task that God is asking. But Gideon's going to find out that he's got to have to make the decision. Is he going to continue and do the will of God in the face of intimidation? Uh, Is he going to be obedient to that will? Is he going to be obedient to those that rise up against uh, what he's doing in the face of his own fears? No matter what, is he willing to do what God asked him to do? And that's a question for us this morning. Corporately, it's a question for us individually. Are we willing to do what God asked us to do this morning? Are we willing to step into the perfect will of God for our lives? So I want us to see a couple of things this morning. First of all, I want to see the difficulties that arise when you become obedient to the will of God. What are some of the difficulties that arise when you become obedient to the will of God in your life? Number one, what happens first is when you do God's will, you will face intense opposition. You will face intense opposition. Chapter 6, look all the way down to verse 25, and I want us to see this. In verse 25, it said, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And here we have Gideon is given this instruction by God. He said to go and to cut down. That's what Gideon's name means. It means to, it means to cut, to hew, to chop down. Um, in other words, the phrase in the Hebrew means Gideon down the Asherah. It's, it's the, um, uh, he asked him to go and cut down the altar of Baal. And the word there is the Asherah which was a, a type of Baal worship uh, in that day. If I, I can't even begin to give you a, a description of what uh, the image of the Asherah is out of modesty. It's, it's too vulgar to be, to be seen publicly. But it was part of the worship of Baal. In other words, he said, Go and tear down the altar of Baal and build an altar to the Lord on the top of this stronghold. In other words, he said, I want you to go and I want you to tear down the, be- the altar that's there and I want you to destroy it and I, want you to, and I want you to build an altar to the Lord on top of that rock or on top of that, really it means stronghold, on top of that stronghold. In verse 11, when the angel appeared to him, said, and the angel of the Lord came and sat under a, a terebinth tree which was uh, in Orphra, which, which belonged to jo- uh, Joash, the Abonizanite, uh, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. In other words, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. It was under, really it was under an oak tree. And, uh, and some believe that the oak tree is the offspring of the gods of Baal. It was an image there. And that oak tree was an image 
in Gideon's father's own yard. He was threshing wheat in the wine press because of fear that the Midians would come. They would come down and the children of Israel would grow crops and they would uh, grow uh, wheat and crops and the Midianites would come down and they would steal and take away the harvest and force them to pay uh, tribute uh, for that. And so Gideon here was hiding under an oak tree, which we probably believe there were altars of Baal that were there. Um, and it was a picture seen as a representation of God in itself. Under the branches of that oak tree, um, they would worship Baal. In other words, Gideon was threshing wheat underneath that oak tree. A place, it was a place of worship. It was a place where uh, unmentionable immorality would take place in the honor of Baal. And it was funny that the angel came right in the midst of that image as if to say God is the only true God. That angel invaded that space where Gideon was and came into that place. He came in and he, he came in and spoke to Gideon in the very place where idol worship would take place as if to say, Gideon, you have to understand that the Lord God is the only God. No longer are you going to be under the authority of Baal, but I am your provision and I am your authority. And so sometimes God got to move in under what you think is your secure is what is is secure and what seems to be the natural source of provision in your life and my life and call us to tear down the altar you thought was your security and and to say it's time to rebuild something. Sometimes Sometimes God has to come and invade us in the place where we put more security uh, on things that pertain to our life and comes in and says, I'm now going to be your provision. I'm now going to be the one that takes care of you. I'm now going to be the one that provides for you. And I'm going to be the authority in your life. No longer is this stronghold or that stronghold going to be the authority in your life. I am now is going to be the authority in your life. And so in verse 26, he's told, he said, And built an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image in which you shall cut down. And so now, he says, now built an altar. He gives him instruction, the proper arrangement. Gideon down this image, offer this bull and sacrifice right here in your daddy's backyard. As if to say, when it comes to the will of God in your life, there is, in other words, there is no pluralism. How many know when we yield to the will of God in our life, we have to understand that there can't be pluralism in our lives. In other words, it's not a combination. It's not, it's not a dual thing. You can't mix your will and his will and expect the God to be on board with that. In other words, when it comes to the will of God, there can't be pluralism. It can't be our will and God's will mixed together in combination, it has to be the will of God only. 
We have to yield to the will of God that is for our life and in the midst of our lives. The Bible does say he does it at night. That's probably had to do with his fear. But he's being obedient in the midst of fear. He's being obedient to God's word. And all of a sudden, as he is being obedient, all of a sudden, opposition arises. All of a sudden, taking a stand sometimes. How many know sometimes taking a stand will bring opposition towards you? When you begin to take a stand for the will of God and righteousness, and you take a stand, all of a sudden there'll be opposition that'll come against your life. It happened with Moses. We see it in the life of Nehemiah, Isaiah did, Jeremiah. And so we begin, all of a sudden, we see um, this opposition that comes against Gideon's life. And in verse 28, it goes on to say, in verse 28, the Bible says, verse 20, Gideon took 10 men from among the servants and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was, an, there was the altar of Baal tore down, and the wooden image that was beside it cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. In other words, verse 29, he said, and they said, and they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired, And asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Now this is is incredible here because Gideon obeyed the Lord. He tore down the altar of Baal. He got rid of it, and when the men of the city woke up that morning and they saw that the altars of Baal, the images, had been torn down, it says they they called out Gideon, his father, to bring his son out that he might kill him. Now, just to give you perspective how far Israel has strayed away from God, to give you the perspective to look how far paganism had taken over them, how far they had strayed from God. You know, the Bible tells them in in the law of Moses, if any Hebrew built an altar to another God of worship, that he was to be cut off from the living and put to death. So here's Gideon. He does the right thing. And the nation and the culture was so counter to the word of God that they they called good evil and evil good. This man, here Gideon has built an altar to the true living God, and he was to be put to death, which is opposite of what the law of Moses had said. And so Gideon, in contrast to his his culture, uh, realized that, look how far they had strayed. They were supposed to be the people of God, yet here they were doing Contrary to what God's word said, they were doing contrary to what uh, God had, had 
had called them to do, now they were calling good evil and evil good. And now Gideon, who was doing right, was now facing this opposition. And so this is the world that Gideon grew up in. He grew up in a world, a nation. He grew up in a home and a culture that this was what Gideon had grown up in. Verse 13 tells us that we know that Gideon had a God consciousness because Gideon had said to the angel of the Lord, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, do, do not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midians. In other words, Gideon grew up hearing about God, but his home was not full of God. He grew up hearing about God. In other words, he heard that they were a chosen people. He had heard that, that God was supposed to be with them. He asked the question, why has God allowed this to happen? Where are, the, where are his miracles that we were told about? Where are all these? If God is supposed to be with us, where is he? Don't we sometimes feel like that in our nation and in our lives? If God is really with us, where is he? Where is God? Why hasn't he shown up? Gideon is aware of God. And here's a father that taught his children about the things of God, but in his own personal life as dad. He said, but those things are irrelevant to me. As a father, he talked about the things of God, but never lived them openly in front of Gideon. He just said, I'm just going to reflect the culture and society in which I live. I'm going to build an altar that is, reflects my culture. And you know where sin, we all know where sin comes from. We all know that at times sin gets into the church. Some think the preacher brings it in. <laughs> it affects our family first. As it affects our families, we begin to bring the compromise into the congregation of God. And then it begins to affect the nation. Begins to affect the nation. There was a man named Don who was a worship leader. He was a Christian who wanted the best for his family. He took them to church every Sunday, Sunday night, and Wednesdays, they were in church. After a few years, his denomination began to turn towards liberalism, and so he pulled his family out, and he started his own church. He led worship there. But there was something tragic that was wrong in his life. He was living a double life. In 1983... He became one of the first men to die from a mysterious disease we now know as AIDS. It shocked his family. Don was living a double life in private that no one knew about. Privately, he was living a homosexual life and no one knew. No one had an idea. It brought great tragedy to the family. 
He had a daughter by the name of Sandy Berkman. And uh, she graduated from Wheaton College. She was a writer. And she wrote a book about the incident. And the book was called Anonymity, The Secret Life of an American Family. Not long after Don had died of AIDS, his 18-year-old son was tragically killed in a car wreck. A few years later, his daughter Sandy caught brain cancer and died that that and died at age 48. Don had one other daughter that is still alive, and her name is Anne. Don and Nancy Hesh uh, was Anne's father, and her name was Anne Hesh. And we all know who Anne Hesh is. She was the uh, lover of Ellen DeGeneres for many years. Here's a family that would have fit in the most congregations in America. But because of the secret, unconfessed, undealt with sin in his own personal life, destroyed and destroyed his, his own family. And as I, I think about that story and I think about here, Gideon was a product of his home. But now the Lord came to Gideon and Gideon, God is asking Gideon to do the will of God and deliver God's people. And now as Gideon steps up, he sees and he's faced with this opposition that comes against Gideon. But look what, but look what God does when one family member takes a stand. It, it's amazing. You may be the only family member in your household living for God. In other words, the angel, as he said, called him a mighty warrior. And so Gideon's response, what was Gideon's response when the angel called him a mighty warrior? He said, I, I'm, from the, I'm from the tribe, of, I'm from the half tribe of Manassas. I, I have no nobility in my family. I have no, uh, no uh, nobody in my family is societal. I have no influence. I'm the least of my own family. He said, and so many of us feel that way when God is calling us to do his will in our life. We say the same thing for God. God, I can't do that. I have no gift. There's nothing in my life that would promote me or nothing in my life that would push me out or push me to the place of promotion. I have no influence or, or no gifting in my life. And here we have this one lone son in a family that has really been backslidden away from God, all of a sudden obeys the will of God and stands up to be obedient toward God. And, and, and the verse 30 says, they, they said, bring him out that, they, that he may die. It's interesting in this verse, as I read this, it says, then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal. And because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside him. Now look at verse 31. It says, but Joash said to all who stood against him. Now this was the meaning of this text is not those who stood against um, Gideon. The Bible says that his father now has had a shift and a change in his heart. Now it says, Joash said to all those who stood against him. 
Would you plead with Baal? Would you save save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself. In other words, Joash is saying, why are you defending Baal? Can't Baal defend himself? Can't Baal take care of himself? In other words, he's saying, if he's really a God, can't he defend himself? If he is God, let him, let, him, let him fight for himself. Why do you have to defend him? In other words, the truth is, we serve a God that's well able to take care of himself. We serve a God that's well able to defend himself. That's well able to stand for himself. You know, we can look at our world and think, God, when are you going? Listen, God is very capable of defending himself this morning. But be sure to stand in and against opposition when you are in the midst of doing God's will. There is this shift in his family. There is this shift in Gideon's family. All of a sudden now, there's this change. And in verse 32, his father Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerobel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down the altar. In other words, there was such, Gideon had such an impact that his father changed his name. He changed his name, and now his name means one who took on Baal, who took Baal on, or one who took on Baal. In other words, the God of his day. He took on the spirit of his day. He took on the, the, the uh, confusion of that hour. He took on uh, what was coming against his generation and his family. And when he decided to do the will of God, all of a sudden, opposition would come. And I'm here to tell you this morning that anytime you're willing to stand in obedience to God's will, there will be opposition that will come in your life. And now because all of a sudden he's obedient to the will of God, all of a sudden, do you know that being obedient to the will of God will change you? It'll change you. When you step out and be obedient in the will of God, it means that God can move you forward to the ultimate purpose of his will for your life. When you stand in the midst of opposition and fear to do the will of God, God will God will change not only and shift things in your life and change things in your life, he'll change you. And so the will of God, you will find opposition when you do the will of God. Secondly, you will experience an internal spiritual struggle. And when Gideon, we see that he has struggled with the will of God. And then we see in verse 33, 34, and then the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped at the valley of Jezreel. Look at verse 34. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and then he blew the trumpet and the Asbarites gathered behind him. The Bible said the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That word came there means that the spirit of God clothed him. Or came upon him. The anointing of God came upon him. And so in Psalms 133 speaks of the same concept as the anointing of God running down 
the head of Aaron and down his beard as being the anointing. In other words, God clothed Gideon. And when he, when he, in his obedience to the will of God, all of a sudden now God's anointing came on him to do what God had asked him to do. God's obedience opens the door to God's anointing that is in our life. And it's interesting because the Bible said that when he blew the trumpet, it said, it said what? It says the Asmonites gathered behind him. Who were they? Who was the Asmonites? The Asmonites were his family. That is where his, his father was from. That is, what did he say to the angel? He said, I'm of the half tribe of Manassas. He said that of the family, he said, in other words, he's saying, nobody takes me seriously. And, uh, I, I'm the least of my family. I have no mobility. I have no influence. Nobody's going to listen to what I have to say. But all of a sudden the anointing came on Gideon. And when he blew the horn, all of a sudden those that came running were those that were a part of his family. Manassas came, Zebulun came, Asher came, the scripture says. Three others' armies came and surrounded him and lined up with him and stood with him. The anointing of the Lord came upon him as he did the will of God. As he did the will of God. In other words, God was bringing him in to a place where the anointing was giving him favor. The anointing was on his life to do his will. God will put his anointing on your life to do his will. I don't know if you guys like some of the old shows that are on TV. I occasionally will watch Gunsmoke and Bonanza. Y'all know Bonanza, right? Hoss and Adam, Dad. And uh, I saw an episode, it wasn't too long ago, and uh, where Joe, you know, he, he, um, he always felt like insignificant in the family. So he was going to prove to Hoss and to Adam that he was a big guy now. So he took the job as a sheriff. Uh, just to show them that he, you know, he wasn't just, just this unimportant person. And so Gideon cried all this time about how insignificant he is. And God kept saying, it's in you. It's in you. If you will do the will of God, it's in you. And I want you to hear this morning that it's in you. If you will do the will of God, the anointing of God will come on you. God will give you the ability to stand in the midst of opposition. That's how God will work in our lives. And so God, all of a sudden, Gideon is gathering this army. And the Bible said the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east had gathered. And the scripture tells us, if you read into chapter 7, that close, they had a close to 135,000 soldiers and Gideon was outnumbered. He had 32,000. Was it outnumbered four to one? How many of those are bad odds in a knife fight? Now he's, he's set now to do the will of God. He's set now to do God's will for his life. And all of a sudden, he, he gets this where he, he's asking God for these signs. He's asking God for these confirmations that are in his life. God had already given him affirmation through a sign back in verse 17. Now he's, he's asking for a sign again, and he sets out a fleece. And, and, and 
the Lord confirms to him through a fleece the affirmation. In other words, one thing I've learned is that affirmation and confirmation is not direction. They confirm the direction you're going in, but they don't give you direction. God will affirm and show you along the way that you're in the will of God, that you're doing the will of God, that you're living out what God has said, that you're headed in the right direction. God will bring confirmation. But the confirmation is not direction. It's just an indication that we are headed in the right direction, that God is putting us in the right direction. So he sets out this fleece and Through that confirmation, he knows that he's headed in the right place. And so here we see Gideon is struggling with the will of God. In his flesh, there's this constant struggle of feeling adequate, feeling that he's able to do what God is asking him to do. And God affirms it and God confirms it to him. And, 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 And that happens. In the face of real internal struggle, when God asks us to do something, there are times that we do struggle internally about stepping out and do it. There is the war that is on the inside of us that battles sometimes when we're wrestling to do the will of God. This is not something that's strange. I I was reading that D.L. Moody, he struggled internally with with self-esteem. Some say that his grammar personally was deplorable. Spurgeon battled depression. George Truitt battled the guilt of being hunting one day and accidentally shot and killed a man who was the police chief of Dallas. And J. Frank Norris, who pastored First Baptist in Fort Worth, Dallas, would send George Truett, who was the pastor of First Baptist in Dallas, he would send him a telegram and said, how could you preach every week knowing that you had killed a man? And he lived under that guilt and that pressure. W.A. Criswell struggled with many family struggles in his life. And a lot of times when you go to do the will of God, there's this internal struggle that keeps you, sometimes it keeps us out of the will of God. We say, well, I don't have the education. I don't have the money. I don't have the appearance. I don't have my family. I have shame in my past or what I have done. So doing the will of God brings great opposition and it brings great internal struggle into our lives when we step out to do the will of God. But I want to, the third thing I want to give you, and this is the, the close today, is that doing the will of God not only brings great opposition and internal struggle, but doing the will of God ultimately will bring glory to God. Doing the will of God will ultimately bring glory to God. As you enter into chapter 7, Gideon gathered his army, and you read in verse 1, immediately, The enemy attacks the fear that is in Gideon. And Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. The well, the name of the well there means terror or fear. And then in verse 2, God drops a bomb on Gideon. 
He says, Gideon, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved thee. In other words, it's an interesting statement. He says, Gideon, you are too many for who? For me to give the Midians into your hands. In other words, God says, there's too many that are there for you. Too many to go into battle with for this reason, so that Israel doesn't claim glory for what God has done. And so he, verse 3, Gideon says, Now therefore proclaim hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount, from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 people returned and 10,000 remained. He lost two-thirds of his army right there. In other words, all those that had fear had left. And we all know that there's nothing like fear to panic an army in the middle of a battle. If fear strikes an army in the middle of a battle, they will turn on themselves. Some have. And so there is this battle of fear that Gideon, all of those who are afraid, fear paralyzes, fear uh, brings, it, it, fear is opposite of faith, it puts no trust in God, and so it kills faith. How many know that you can't win a city with fear, you can't build a kingdom with fear? You can't advance the kingdom of God with, with fear. And you surely can't build a church on fear, right? That we have to live in the will of God, not, not willing to live in fear. And then verse 4 and 6, he says, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. He said, Bring them down to the water. And he said, Those who drink this way, send home. And those who drink this way, remain. And only 300 was left and Gideon's army. Now here God has said, listen, there's too many for me. I mean, he was already outnumbered four to one. Now the estimate is these outnumber 450 to one. Wouldn't you like to be on, the, on, the, on, the, on, that, on that army that was going into battle? But God knew what he's doing. Gideon submitted to God. He learned to submit to God. In doing the will of God, we have to learn to submit to God. We have to allow God to have access to our lives. We have to let God have access. In order to obey him, to walk in the fulfilling of his will. I don't want to tell you that there is, God told him to send home those that had self-interest. Everyone that was in the army that had, that had self-centeredness, that, was, had per, that were there for their own personal needs, they were all about themselves. In other words, they didn't have the discipline in their lives to curve their desires. See, we have to understand in doing the will of God that ultimately for God to get the glory we have to have the right people around us and the right people that are with us. 
We can't have people that live in fear and not faith and those who are unwilling to make the same sacrifices that you're willing to make in order to do the will of God. It's interesting. And now Gideon is left with 300. God says, you're too strong for me in your flesh. We're not going to win battles until we come to the place where we are weak enough to give God all the glory. We'll never have victories in our life until we become weak enough to decide that every victory that God gives us, God gets the credit. How many know God deserves the credit? I think we need to hear that in this hour. I think we need to hear that in this hour. That is God that gets the glory. I don't know if you're familiar with Henry the 14th. Henry the 14th became king of France when he was four years old. He liked to be called glorious. He ruled 72 years, one of the longest in history. His palace was called Versailles. 10,000 people made up his court. His court was the most elaborate, the most beautiful, the most extravagant. He was called the Sun King. He died in 1717. And the man who preached his funeral was a minister by the name of John Baptiste Messiaen. His funeral was held in a great cathedral. He was laid out at the front of that cathedral in a solid gold coffin. The instruction in his funeral that was given in that cathedral is that the cathedral would remain dim. 15,000 people attended Henry XIV's funeral. And all the lights were to be dim except for one very large candle that was placed right above the gold coffin so that the light was to shine on that gold coffin. It was to symbolize his glory. He considered himself to be glorious. The minister that day, John Baptiste Messiaen, stood to preach his funeral. Preaching a funeral, he spoke one line from that, from that service that everyone remembers. And the one line from one of the most extravagant funerals in human history was when John Baptiste Massillon reached out and he snuffed out the candle and he said, Only God is glorious. Only God is glorious. See, every, when we're willing to do the will of God, we have to understand that every victory that God brings, God gets the glory. We don't get the glory. We don't share that glory with God. You all know the story. Gideon went on to win that battle. 
he went on to destroy the Midianites and the, and the Amalekites. He went on to win that victory. God gave him that victory. But the story wasn't that, Vic, that, that Gideon had won that victory. The story was the transition that took place in Gideon's life by just being obedient to the will of God. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. Stand with me if you would this morning. You know, I, I just feel this morning that there may be some here that are struggling and wavering back with doing the will of God in their life. Maybe the will of God for your life is being more faithful to the house of God. Maybe doing the will of God in your life is, is being obedient to serve or be obedient to do what he's already asked you to do. But understand that when you step out to do the will of God, there will be opposition. Understand the will of God will change you and it will change those that are around you when we obey the will of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with being obedient to the will of God. You're saying, God, I don't think I can do this. God, I don't think I have it in me to be able to say yes to you. Saying yes to the will of God will bring an internal struggle. There'll be this internal struggle that, that will go on that will, God, am I good enough? Am I adequate enough? Do I have the skills? But what you have to understand is that God will come upon you. The Bible said he came upon Gideon. He anointed Gideon. God will anoint you. God will come upon you. He will clothe you. The Spirit of the Lord will strengthen you to fulfill what God is asking you to do. God will affirm it and confirm it in your life and show you His direction. And finally, in saying yes to God and doing the will of God, we must understand also God gets the Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.